Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us safely through this past week. Thank you that we can come and study together this evening. We ask that you'd please be with us as we open the Bible now. May you please guide us with the Holy Spirit. Lead us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I have something a little bit different planned for you. I have all the texts on screen for you to follow. And uh, I know some of you have been asking, you know, are there any things that we can look at other than just my face? You know, it might as well just be audio, right? Um, so I've decided to put all the text on screen this evening. We'll be studying the faith of Barak. And he is found there. He's listed there in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 verse 32, this is what the Bible says about Barak. And it's just a list. What shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. You know, Barak, you've probably heard of his name before, but he's not a very famous character. His story is not very long in the Old Testament, as Gideon, but he is even more famous, of course. But the interesting thing is, Barak's story actually comes just the prior chapter to Gideon, which we studied last week. So we're not doing things in chronological order. I'm not sure why Paul listed it out this way and didn't mention Barak first and then Gideon, but we're studying it in the order that's given to us in Hebrews chapter 11. But before we go to the Old Testament, there's something interesting that we read about Barak that is listed in Hebrews 11, this description that really aptly fits him. Look at this. In the next verse, verses 33 to 34, the Bible says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and then it says this, Out of weakness were made strong. That description about the weak being made strong probably fits the description of Barak, a Barak, pardon me, the most. He was a man that seemed to be timid and insecure, as we'll see in a little bit. But nevertheless, he believed God's word and his promises, and he went forward in obedience by faith and was used mightily by God for the good of his people. So let's start with the background of the time that Barak is living in. Let's go to Judges chapter 4, and we're starting there in verse 1. Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan that reigned in Hazor, the captain whose, of whose host was Sisera, which dealt, dwelt in Harosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and twenty years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. You know, friends, it was a difficult time that the children of Israel were living in. They were being oppressed by the surrounding nations, but this we will see is a repeated pattern that happens throughout all the book of Judges. If you've never read the book of Judges from chapter 1 all the way to the end of the chapter, you will find that this just keeps repeating over and over again. 
the people, they go into sin after the judge dies or the, the leader dies. And so because of that, God lets them and sells them into captivity and other nations come and conquer them. And then the people cry out to God. God hears them. And guess what? He sends a judge, a deliverer. The judge fights for them, delivers them. The judge dies. And guess what? The people go back into sin again. Let me show you some examples. Let's go to Judges chapter 2 and verse 8. Joshua, he was the one that followed on from Moses as the leader. But it says here that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. So the judge dies. Now look what happens next. Verse 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. So when the judge dies, they turn away from God, they do evil, and they hear they served Balaam. So what happens? Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. So God would sell them into the hand of their enemies because of their rebellion, and then Verse 18, And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them, they cease not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. So we see this cycle that I mentioned. The judge dies, the children of Israel, they go into sin, and because they reject God, God removes the, His protecting care, and then the other nations come and conquer them. They go into captivity, they're sold and slaves to their enemies, they cry out to God, and the good thing is, whenever they cry out to God, God hears them, sends them a judge, a deliverer, and this whole cycle repeats again. When the judge dies, they go back into sin. Let, let me show you a couple more examples. Let's go to Judges chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. Judges 3, starting in verse 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forget the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. You see that? So the judge dies. They go back to their sin. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Chushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served this king eight years. So there they go, sold into captivity. And then the children of Israel, they cried unto the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even who? Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So they get delivered, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war and delivered, and the Lord delivered Chushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against him. And the land had rest 40 years. As long as the judge was alive, they were faithful. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Verse 12, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. You see that, friends? Every time the judge dies, 
they go back into sin. One last example, Judges chapter 3, and we're continuing on, verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And there's a bit more description about what Ehud does. But then, verse 30, Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. The land had rest four score years, 80 years. There was peace and rest. That's the last verse there. We jump into chapter 4, which we read earlier. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. So every time, friends, every time the judge dies, the children of Israel, they go back into sin. They go back to their old lives. And when they find out it's so bad, they cry to God. God sends another judge, another deliverer. And what we read there in Judges chapter 4 really brings us down to that time, the time of Barak, the character that we are interested in studying about this evening. For 20 years, Jabin, king of Canaan, has been reigning and put them into captivity. His captain is Sisera. And we read about them in Judges chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And he was the captain instrumental in oppressing the children of Israel. And it just it says there how powerful their army was. 900 chariots. You know, friends, that's like having 900 tanks today. This is how strong their army was. And how bad were those days? When we go to Judges chapter 5, you know, Barak is praising God, but he does describe about the time that they were living in. Let me show you. In Judges chapter 5 and verses 6 and 7, look at what is said about those times before they were delivered. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers, they walked through the byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel. People, they just didn't go anywhere. And if they did, they didn't use the highway. They were afraid. They had to go through the, the back roads, the ones that would take twice as long, the ones that were less traveled. Why? They were just living in fear. This was a type of oppression that was taking place for 20 years to the children of Israel. And people, they were just defenseless. Look at what else it says in Judges chapter 5 and verse 8. They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. Was there a shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? That's a rhetorical question, friends. There was not even a shield or a spear. They were not even capable. If they were able to muster 40,000 people, they were not able and they were not capable to fight against the Canaanites and what they were doing in oppressing them. This was surely a difficult time. And this is the background of Barak in the time that he's living in. But now, let's continue the story. Judges 4, verses 4 and 5. And Deborah, a prophetess, 
the wife of Lepidoth. She judged Israel at that time. She dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. You know, friends, when we study about the story of Barak, it has to be tied in with Deborah. Deborah and Barak, they're not a couple, they're not married. She was married already to somebody else, but they too would be linked together. She was a prophetess in the time of Israel, and she was a judge, and it would be through her that God would communicate to Barak and not directly to Barak. Why? We'll see in a minute. It didn't make Barak any less of a man or any less of a deliverer through which God would work. But somehow God would communicate to Deborah, the prophetess, and through her to Barak. And God still works that way sometimes, friends. It doesn't mean that you're any less of a saint or a child of God or that you've done something really wrong that God won't communicate directly to you. You know, people ask me as a pastor, Ben, has, has God ever spoken directly to you? And um, He hasn't. Has He worked through me for the blessing of others? I can see it in some sense, not, not about being proud, but friends, you have to have an assurance of your calling. And I have seen that God truly has called me to be a pastor. So we can have that assurance, even though literally we don't hear the voice of God speaking directly through us right from heaven. And this is what was with Barak. But let's continue. Judges chapter 4, 6 and 7. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kedesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and of the children of Zebulun, and I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, and his chariots, and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. Notice here that even though it is Deborah speaking, clearly she is giving a message straight from God. Hath not God of Israel said this to you, right? And the instruction was what? To recruit 10,000 men from his tribe of Naphtali and from the children of Zebulon. And it's interesting how the Bible puts it. God would bring the army of Sisera, the captain, right to where he would be by the river Kishon. You know, oftentimes when you go fight a battle, you got to go where the enemy would be. But God said this time, I will bring the enemy to you. And Barak, in spite of his own sense of his humilia uh, human limitations, he could have had faith in God's call. It was a prophetess that was telling him this, and he should have had confidence in the command, right? And he was promised victory in that actual warfare that, that God came and told him through Deborah, you will have victory. I'll draw them to you and you, I'll deliver them into your hand. We don't know Barak's background, whether he was trained to fight or whether he was a man of valor like Gideon. Did he have any military experience? We don't really know. Most likely not, since there was not even a spear or shield among 40,000 people, right? In fact, what is his response to the command from Deborah, 
the prophetess. Look at this. Judges chapter 4, verse 8. And Barak said unto her, I, if thou wilt go with me, then I will go with you. I, I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. What does this response sound like? Is it a good response? Is it positive? Is it negative? It could have been positive. Maybe he, it was just his way of saying, please, come with me. Maybe he wanted to make sure that the one that gave the command would be with him. He wanted assurance, right? But it really was more a negative response than anything else. And how do we know? Because it sounds like he's giving an ultimatum. If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. His obedience he placed not on the command of God, but on whether Deborah would go with him or not. And friends, we got to remember that yes, a prophet is human as well. What if Deborah said, hey, this was the command to you, not to me. You better go. Barak might not have gone. And friends, we got to be so careful for relying on human help. God, though, is merciful. Even though we can see that Barak's faith is weak, yet Deborah, and she probably sees it as well, she encourages him with her presence. And you know, friends, there are people that are around us that might be weak in faith, that just need our presence to be there to strengthen them. You know, there was a, one of my church members, I always remember what he shared. He said, there's the ministry of just showing up. You have the ministry of just being there. Sometimes we think, oh, this is a youth program. Why do families need to go? Do you know that the families change the atmosphere of the youth socials? And just by being there, you don't have to participate in their games. Uh, more often than not, you'll have to cook. But just the, your, your very presence makes a big difference. And Deborah, she understood that. And so, what was her response? Judges chapter 4, verse 9, she said, I will surely go with thee. But then, here's a bit of a rebuke. Notwithstanding, the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. You know, from her response, we can see that Barak had a lack of faith. He didn't, it's not that he had no faith. He would go, and he would go on the command of the Lord and no one else's, but he did give a condition. His faith was weak, but yet in the little of the faith that he had, God was still willing to work through him. You see that? And it was not that he was being humble and being unsure of himself. He was also unsure of God. Not totally to the point that he would disobey and just said, uh-uh, I'm not going at all, right? But he said, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Eventually, he would go. His faith placed on Deborah, the prophetess. And so he was emboldened by Deborah's presence. And in the end, they were a team each doing their part, which was suited to them. Judges chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song. 
Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. You know, they had their part. The part for Deborah was to awake the people, to stir the people, to cause them to arise. And Barak's part was to lead the people and to free them from their captivity and from their oppression. So look, friends, we still have our roles today. And just because God puts you as a leader, it doesn't mean that He will only work through you and you alone. In Hebrews 11, it talks about the faith of Barak. And even though it, it, it seemed like his faith was weak, it never said the faith of Deborah. Not because it was just a male-dominated society. Look, in the genealogy of Jesus, we see five women that are mentioned. It's not that Deborah even minded. She didn't care and say, hey, why are you leaving my name out of the genealogy of Hebrews chapter 11? No, friends. Deborah had a part and she was the judge of Israel. But it would be through Barak that God would deliver the children of Israel. And so, even though his faith was not the same as maybe Gideon's, his faith was still big enough, even though it was small, it was big enough still for God to work through it. So now, let's read the first hint of God's divine providence for Barak. Judges chapter 4 and verse 11. This, this verse, it seems to be a bit of a strange pause in the story. It seems like it, it just gives us this extra detail for no good reason, but it's important. Now Heba the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent unto the plain of Zanaim, which is by... Kadesh, which is seen, which is the place that that Deborah and Barak are going to. We read that back in verse nine, but we have this little detail. Why? Why this strange detail that is given to us? Um, Heba the Kenite. It was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. Okay, so they were connected in some ways, but um, they had left off living with their family, the Kenites, and. Um, They've gone and lived in the plain of Zanaim, which is by Kedesh, where this battle is about to take place. Now, what I want you to do is just lock this seemingly unimportant detail away just for a little bit in our minds for a moment. And let's read on to see what God is doing to bring Caesarea to battle. Caesarea. Judges chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And they showed Caesarea that Barak, the son of Ebonoam, uh, Abinoam was gone up to Mount Tabor, and Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Harasheth of the Gentiles unto the river of Kishon. So Barak, he hears about me, Sisera, he hears about Barak's army, and he ends up going to meet him at the place where God said Barak would defeat him. So when Barak sees this, his faith is strengthening. He's seeing prophecy, the Word of God being fulfilled. And that, my friends, when you see the Word of God unfolding before your very eyes, it inspires faith, confidence, and courage. And so Deborah, he, she, she gave this prophecy to Barak that God would bring him to the river where he would be. And so when he sees that, 
he has already the confidence that God would be with him and he'll go forward in faith. Friends, prophecy is so important in our day today. How do we know that we can trust the Bible? How do we know that we can trust the words here? Because there are some things that you could read sometimes that seem so outrageous. To some people, creation is an outrageous thing. Even as Christians, many still believe in evolution. We're taught that in our schools. No schools, except for maybe the Christian schools, teach um, creation. But even then, sometimes it's mingled with evolution. I grew up in schools, not Christian ones, but I grew up learning about evolution. How do you know that? that creation is correct. How, how do we see it in, in nature? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes there seems to be more evidence. But the reason why I can believe creation is because the prophecies elsewhere in the Bible that have been fulfilled already give me confidence in other areas of Scripture that might seem impossible or questionable. Peter walking on water, the Red Sea parting, all these sorts of things. How can we have confidence in the, these parts of Scripture? Because we see fulfilled prophecy. And that's what Barak saw. And so, in Judges chapter 4, and then verse 14, And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, and ten thousand men after him. You know, friends, isn't it interesting? And we saw this earlier. But isn't it interesting that Barak had 10,000 men? But Gideon, 10,000 was still too many. Once again, we don't know the number that Sisera had. But he had 900 chariots of iron. And somehow, look, a chapter later, or two chapters later, God says 10,000, too much, Gideon. I'll just use 300, thank you very much. And so, friends, we can't ever ever limit God to what we just see in the scripture. He goes above and beyond that. He says, I will make a new way. I will make a new road. I will do something new. You don't have to keep relying on old miracles. God says something new can be done. And so with 10,000 men, they were brought to battle. And look at what Judges chapter 5, verse 20 and 21 says about this battle. It's very interesting. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away, that ancient river, the river Kishon. Oh my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. You know what God did? He rendered those chariots useless. Got them all stuck in mud or swept them away. It was damp, it was wet. They couldn't move. God has had his reason for having the battle by the river Kishon. And as a result, Barak obtained the victory. Let's continue. Judges 4, 15 and 16. And the Lord discomforted Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. You see that? His chariot got stuck. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Harosheth of the Gentiles. And all the host of Sisera fell upon um, the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. So God gives them complete victory. But yet the story is not ended yet. Let's continue. Verse 17. Howbeit 
Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Do you remember that detail back in verse 11? This is it. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And so we see this detail now coming up, how this uh, Moses' father-in-law had broken away from their family, and they are living by the river here, the near, not right at the place, but near to the place where they're having this great battle. And because there was peace between Jabin the king, who is the Canaanite, and this household, Sisera came in unarmed and he, he, he felt safe to accept the invitation of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, to come in. He didn't think anything about it. He let his God down. And let's continue reading, shall we? Verse 19. And he said to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink, and covered him. Again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say, No. Then Jael, Heba's wife, took a nail of the tent, and took a hammer in her hand, and went softly unto him, and smote the nail into his temples, and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. You know, friends, it would be Jael, a Gentile, a housewife, a mother, a non-Christian in a sense, that would kill the captain of the army. You wouldn't ever think someone so simple-minded and so gentle would do such a thing. When we read at the very beginning, when Deborah the prophetess said, because you lacked faith, because you told me that if I don't go with you, you won't go, and if I go, you'll go, I'm going to put, I will deliver the, the Sisera and um, the army into what? The hand of a woman. We all thought that it would probably be Deborah, the prophetess, right? But it wasn't. It was this humble, gentle housewife, a person that we would not even consider a Christian today. Now, friends, I don't think Barak was really angry or upset that he was not the one to kill Sisera himself, but it certainly was a big slap in the face for him. Why? he would not have the honor of ending the war. He went and fought this whole battle, and yet it would be a woman that would come and end the war at the end of it. You know, there are many people out there that are not in the church today that have more faith than those in the church. Do you know that? During the ministry of Jesus, the times that Jesus said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The greatest of faith, those that had the great faith were the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people at that time. One of them 
was a Canaanite woman who came to Jesus begging for healing for her daughter. And Jesus infamously said what? Only, only the children are allowed to eat at the table, meaning I've only come for the Jews. And she said what? Yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from her, the table. Calling herself the dog. And God says, I've not found so great faith. And when the centurion came and asked Jesus to heal his servant, he said, don't come. I'm not worthy. Just speak the word only. And Jesus said, ah, I've not seen any such great faith. No, not in Israel. You know, oftentimes those with greater faith are those that come from the world, not those that have grown up in the church all their lives. We hear these stories and sometimes it doesn't seem to move the needle of our heart. Does it mean that there's no point being a Christian? No. God has given us the Word to be a tremendous blessing to each and every one of us. There is tremendous blessings to those that believe, those that accept the Word of God, especially even from a young age. We look at the great heroes of the Bible. They were taught on their mother's knee by, uh, with, with the Word of God, Moses and, and Samuel and Samson and John the Baptist, all these great heroes of faith. Yes, there is a great advantage, friends. But too often, God has to use the Gentile to school the Christians, isn't it? And so look, it's important. It's important to exercise our faith and grow from it. And I know that Barak, look, if Barak had no faith, God would not have worked through him at all. He did have some, even though he made such an ultimatum and a demand on Deborah the prophetess, he did have some. And it just goes to show how much God is willing to work even through little faith. Do you see that? But let's come to the story here and uh, let's finish it off, eh? Judges chapter 4, 23 and 24. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Barak may not have laid the last blow on Sisera and killed him and, you know, destroyed him, but certainly it was through Barak that the Lord wrought a great deliverance for the children of Israel that day. It was through his faith in spite of his fears, in spite of his weaknesses, that the Lord did a mighty wonder for the whole country. And you know, friends, this is a really important lesson for us today. It's, it's not about even how much faith you have sometimes. It's how much, even though in, in your fear and trepidation, you're still willing to trust the prophet. Barak trusted the prophet Yes, she was the judge, but she was also a prophetess. And sometimes, you know, we don't see the end from the beginning. We don't see how God is going to do it. And in our little faith that we have, we sometimes falter and we stumble. But I want to encourage you to push through your fears. Push through those things that cause your soul to tremble. And be willing to test God. I know that at least our little faith can bring us to that point. 
no matter how large, no matter how small, God is trying to lead us on and strengthen us. And he knew the temperament of, uh, of Barak. So he gave him a prophetess to walk with. And we're told in Joel chapter 2, I'm sorry I don't have this up on screen, but we're told in Joel chapter 2, I believe it's verse 27, 28, and 29, that God would send prophets in the last days. These prophets are important. They are given to strengthen our hand in these troublous times that we live in. And how is God going to bring out great deliverance from the weakest of the weak? Those that have been, that have been cast down and, and hurt by sin for thousands of years? He gives us the gift of the prophets. I want to encourage you to believe the prophets, to hold fast to the Word of God. And that as we learn to step forward and knowing that God is with us, will you have the assurance of the words of the prophets? Surely, God will give us the victory. May we learn to lean more heavily upon God's word and the gifts that He's given to us, especially the gift of the prophecies of the prophets today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you that you don't just give the glorious examples, but you help us to see into the weakness of humanity, not to give us an excuse, but to give us a ladder to climb on, to help us to understand how we can have the faith of the great patriarchs of old. But yet even here I mentioned in this hall of faith, Lord, you have men that seemingly had little faith, yet you still wrought a great deliverance for them. Lord, we want to have that experience today. I pray that you teach us to trust your word, to trust the words of the prophets that you've given to us in these last days, that you would help us to ride through the storms and eventually give us victory over the devil, give us victory over sin, Give us victory over all temptations and trials that are thrown our way. That truly at the end of it, Lord, we can rejoice and be exceeding glad in every trial and temptation. And so, Lord, please guide us. If there are any of my brothers and sisters that are listening this evening that are facing these trials, I pray that you'd strengthen their faith and help them to look up, to trust in the words of the prophets that you've given to us today. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.